Hiya, welcome to episode 9 of How Not, hosted by me, Luke Manning. And me, Kim McCurry. We're two gobby Scottish creators in London that like to talk about the big stuff, and we thought you might like to listen. So here we are. This podcast is here to remind you to always be a good troublemaker. Think big and ask, how not? Hello. Hi, how are you getting on? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I did have a little crisis moment there because I kept forgetting the intro, um, but I think I did it. Did just it, then. yeah. Yeah. Popped in, popped some new bits in, and you know, yeah, some bits out. Yeah, you know, just it's it's a constant process yeah. of creativity. We're evolving. We're evolving. Think? We're we're moving up in the world. How's well, your week been? It's been good. Yeah, yeah. Busy. The world is back. Yeah. I sung some background jazz for posh people. I did some recording. I um released a song today. You did. Um, and that's about it, really. You know, just just a couple of Quite bits. A week. <laughs> <laughs> what for you? Um, it's my birthday next week, so uh, careening ever faster towards death. Uh, my birthday's on Tuesday. Beautiful. Um, what else has been happening? Yeah, the world is back. It actually feels like stuff's happening. Stuff Big is. Um, it's nice to we're booking some more gigs at the Vortex. Oh yeah, and that's nice. Um. Yeah, good. Nice week. Uh, too hot. Ah, uh, no, I enjoyed it fully. Mm. I, I was, I love the fact that I need to go and find myself the best kind of aloe vera soothing after sun well. because I sat on the balcony for just a little bit too long. Mm. But um, that's an exciting part of my life. That means that the the seasons are changing. Yes, it does. That is one of the things it means. <laughs> Um, I have to say, I, I got loads of nice people getting in touch about our last episode. Yeah, wow, that was such a wasn't it such a joy. Um, so if you haven't listened to that, you really should. Absolutely, um, prison abolition. Um, yeah. yeah, just people like we um, imagined. People who just were incredibly compelled by John and Matt, yeah. and as we were, yeah. Lots of people who who haven't. I think, and we touched upon this actually in the podcast, but who haven't really heard that first-hand account mm-hmm. of the prison system yeah. like that before. Um, and, yeah, just, I think, a lot of people who are very, like, spurred on to find out more as a result. So mm-hmm. they are very good spokespeople for that movement. Absolutely. We also did a little recording, a little interview for someone else, didn't we? We did, yeah. I guess maybe that's out next week. That was fun. It was fun. Um, yeah, Ewan is the nicest man. Yeah, Ewan from the Clump podcast. But ironically, that's also my wrestling name. So ah, <laughs> ah, I love it. Um, yeah, it was quite funny, like being like us being interviewed. I know, but we're not in the same room on Zoom. Yeah, my logic was having a moment. She was having a day, <laughs> a meltdown. Um, yeah, this is I, I like being in the Priscilla Palace a lot better. I must say. I, I had to check that the recording was still happening about a hundred times because I was like, what if we yeah, get an I hour into this? Yeah, I and then it and I'm stopped. Like, oh, God. Yeah. And yeah, good luck to you and for editing <laughs> my, my end of things. It's going to end up being like a five minute discussion. I know, I know, because just, yeah, 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 it'll be fine. But anyway, look out for that when it comes out. And um, today's quite an exciting one because, well... I, I guess I was toing and froing a lot. Well, I was, wasn't I? You were, yeah. Um, over whether to 
do whether to mark Pride Month, of which June is. Um, it's an interesting <laughs> sentence to yeah. say. It's like you Everything was backward. <laughs> interesting. No, let's let's not do that again. But yeah, I, I was really to and fro in about marking Pride Month because I think that Pride is something that means different things to different people, and yeah. Pride Month is so it's um, always dangerous territory because every single brand and organization wants to stick a rainbow sticker on it and show that they're doing something for yeah. these 30 or 31 days and then they kind of go back to their their big old heteronormative practices so i didn't want to us to to kind of be complacent in that so i was like if we're going to do it yeah let's do it properly yeah and something that was in our original document from the start of stuff that we'd love to talk about was was stonewall so i kind of like yeah i think it I, in my head I was thinking about pride as a protest and, and remembering Stonewall and all that you know putting that into the context of today and, and this pride month and you know the kind of things that we should have in our mind when we're talking about it because I saw some I, I'll, I'll read out this thing I saw today Lady Phil who founded UK Black Pride shared this today mm-hmm. says pride while we laugh at memes about corporations putting a rainbow in their logo or add new brightly coloured items to our ASOS baskets, elsewhere elsewhere in the world, LGBTQ plus people aren't celebrating their identities at all. Because to do, to do so could see them ostracised, persecuted or murdered. While we celebrate this Pride season, remember how many of our queer siblings are unable to do so. And that's something that was a great reminder for me today. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, yeah, go and buy your kind of rainbow striped Calvins, but then yeah. and look as sexy as you want. But also know that around the world, there's a there's a global struggle that still exists. Yeah. And um, the other thing I saw that was quite cool was Pride isn't brought to you by T-Mobile and Absolute Vodka. It was brought to you by drag queens, trans women throwing bricks, by lesbians and queer women taking care of gay men dying of AIDS in the face of an intentional government neglect. And I quite enjoyed that too. Yes, very much so. There's, I saw, there's a thing, um, yeah, some interesting stuff about this, the sort of rainbow washing thing where companies kind of use this month to sell rainbow as things. As product as they can. Um, there is a really useful resource um, at a, on a website called hrc.org. There's this thing called the Human Rights uh the Human Rights Campaign's Corporate Equality Index, which basically means you can look up a company and see how their policies and practices actually deal with equality wow. rather than just we've popped a little rainbow on our mm-hmm. social media, um, which I think is useful and, and kind of, you know, saw a lot of people saying, you know, if you see a company selling you something through the lens of uh, Pride Month, maybe check out them. Do they ever talk about anything beyond this month yeah. that references that? Um, you know, just do a little little bit of research uh, and just... And also, yeah, like you said, remember that it's not a month where we all pat ourselves on the back for curing the problem of discrimination. Yeah. Um, and it's like you mentioned, it's like pride is a form of protest. Like it, it, it celebrates, yeah, but it also it, remembers. and Yeah, it's what, we're, well, what we're about to talk about, pr- pride started and and should continually be about 
protest really and and like i was gonna say it's an interesting time pride month is an interesting time for queer people in the public eye or like queer artists as well because mm-hmm. you get a lot of gigs because yes. it's pride month and yes. then you have this dichotomy of like i want to take the gig visibility is important the money's important mm-hmm. but am i just getting this once a year gig so that they can box tick and then i'm never actually asked to do anything else by these people or these companies or these venues or whatever yeah, yeah. so it's interesting you know i think when you look at businesses and stuff maybe just like are they queer owned mm-hmm. are there queer people supported in their working practices like are they an independent business or are they a huge company like these kind of things will help inform that as well especially with like events and stuff or if you're asked to speak or if you're asked to like come on and do a feature just like look at the background of like what that company or brand has done thus far yes and then also if you want to be the if, if they've done fuck all and you want to be the person that changes that go for that you know it's not about saying no to things it's just mm-hmm. about having an awareness i think and not feeling tokenized yeah um but equally you can have autonomy over that and go i'm going to take this gig and i'm going to make sure that it's done well because i know that i can do a good job and, yeah and you know be authentic and and represent my community and and equally there's some you know as a queer person it doesn't mean that you're a spokesperson for everyone else you no know? exactly yeah it's so, like yeah. anything it's like black history month and exactly. all that stuff and, and, you and, and you know like with getting like gigs based on your gender or your sexual orientation any of this stuff it's like yeah it's like an awkward thing isn't it it's like you you need to decide how you feel in the moment yeah exactly and however you feel is it's all allowed it's just nice to yeah yeah, know that you don't just have to feel pressured one way or the other right yeah yeah um so yeah let's talk about stonewall yeah this was nice actually that going back and really thinking about where it all began i mean shall we set the scene a little bit yeah um so time what, what kind of time are we talking about here so it's, it's 1969. It is, yeah. So, um, apart from Illinois, um, there's no other state in the US where um, homosexuality is legal. Yeah. So, blanket, you know, illegality there. Um, you basically got no no sort of public figures that are openly gay. No. You've not really seen anything on in film and TV. You've certainly seen nothing in politics. you got... Harvey Milk comes along about 10 years later, but, mm. you know, not at the time. Um, so very much underground and also illegal. So people are going to be fined. Yeah, th- there's a real threat, not only to your, like, kind of life, but to your career. And, you know, it's just it's just daily, daily threat. Really, yeah. Isn't it? To, to be openly queer was incredibly dangerous. Yeah, because there's no laws to sort of prevent discrimination you know for housing or jobs or whatever so often the systems that we would expect to prevent it were perpetuating it you know so yeah it's it's a dangerous time yeah Yeah, it was a bad time and so that meant that you um stonewall was kind of one example of i guess not a massive number but certainly more than one of bars that were for the gay community yeah yeah so i think there would have been existed a lot of kind of speakeasies and underground things like as as there was over here in soho history yeah um yeah and i think but the the stonewall inn was an interesting one because it was recognized as a as a as a gay bar but it wasn't granted a liquor license yeah because they didn't that meant it could be raided 
frequently for not having a liquor license, whereas it was also targeted as a openly queer space, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, th- you know, that was nothing new. I mean, police, yeah, th- there was routine raids of, of, of gay bars by mm-hmm. police. And, and these raids, you know, it was interesting because a lot of these bars were controlled by the mob, like yeah. the mafia or corrupt police officials themselves. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, so it was a, a yeah tricky situation to negotiate. I think you know people just wanted a space to feel safe and congregate. Yet these spaces were so targeted, you know. Yeah, and I think the mob realised that there was a um, opportunity for a little side hustle as well because not only Absolutely, could they like yeah, turn a coin, yeah, water down the drinks, you know, up the prices, you know, and they know people are going to come, but they also. Uh, kind of used that threat of like blackmail and exploitation yeah. because people knew if um, if someone told their employer that they'd seen them at Stone Mall or or their families or yeah. whatever, their life would would change dramatically. Yeah. So there was there was a lot of potential for money making um, yeah. for those for those and places control and, and control and shame. Like yeah, we're talking, you know. Yeah, and by all accounts, Stone Mall was a pretty kind of grotty grubby little place like. yeah tiny little kind of some i heard someone say that i can't believe there was room for all that ego in there you know like <laughs> it, you know a bit of a dive yeah apparently yeah, yeah yeah like sticky floors like very dark and dingy and and still actually still exists today like well, yeah you know you can go and uh, see it in new york city in the in the village um i, I imagine it's scrubbed up and they've probably given it a wash uh, since a bit then. Bit of a wash since then. It's but, in um, an interesting part of New York because, like, the rest of Manhattan is on the grid system. So, um, you know, a really uniform way of planning a city mm-hmm. where you've got um, it's literally a grid, and we're, so we're dealing with straight lines. Yeah, we're dealing with, you know, um, and very sort of um, non-imaginative street names that just uh, are numbers. That's mm-hmm. how they're dealing with that. And if you you come down like 5th or 6th Avenue, eventually you hit Greenwich Village, yeah. which is not on the grid system because it was a like a little the grid, hamlet before the grid system came in. And so you suddenly hit there and then you get all these interesting angles, you get all these little triangles and all these like interesting streets with real names. So it does actually feel like an actual village in some ways because it's really not like the rest of town yeah and it's, and it's famous as a place where creatives and artists and it's a magnet bohemians just the lived people. yeah yeah um and still live yeah and still live although they have to be rich now yeah it's very gentrified um and yes we're well well now it's where a lot of the like jazz clubs are yeah they're all in the village um a couple doors down from stonewall is a a pet shop where there are puppies in the window that you buy, which Amazing. is quite um like hilarious avant garde, um, and yeah, little bits of green space as well because there's like tree lined streets and little park kind of area, little little plots of park, so a bit more green than the sort of grey bits. Um, so it makes perfect sense that if there's going to be some, uh, good troublemaker action. Oh yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna be, be there. it's gonna be there. Anyway, yeah, and and yeah, I think. Um, well, as we say, like the the bars were routinely routinely raided by police, and the Stonewall Inn was was no stranger to mm-hmm. a good old raid. Yeah. Um. Uh, but it's important to recognise that this. Why do we talk about Stonewall? And it's 
Well, Stonewall, it's important to recognise that the Stonewall riots were a catalyst for change. They weren't necessarily the beginning because there were pre-existing pro-LGBT plus organisations that I think called themselves homophiles, so just like homo-loving yeah, exactly. um, organisations, but very underground, you know. Very underground um, and actually sometimes quite conservative. Right, like Daughters of totally. Bilitis and the uh, the Mattachin Society were like quite... I guess part of their thing was like, if we work really hard to to almost like to lean legitimize in, legitimise ourselves, yeah, yeah, like make us look respectable, like we should be everyone, out. exactly. Yeah. Then we can integrate into society. Which is so interesting because what we will find talking about the Stonewall riots is actually what was beautiful about that movement was it was all the people, all the down and outs, all the but all the beautiful real people in our community, you know, and not in the people that these kind of organisations would often try to distance themselves from. Yes, they, um, and they've got a lot of flack, actually, for being kind of... So, some of the people involved that we'll talk about a bit later were kind of... They caused kind of friction within absolutely. the gay community in for the being me- sort of... In the media, yeah, the gay media. I think some gay hand, people yeah. were quite embarrassed yep. by them as, yep. as activist voices. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there, there was... Um, so leading up to what we now know as the Stonewall riots, there was there was discontent and discomfort around yep. that time. I mean, it was pretty. I think like it was just quite a turbulent time in politics. Absolutely, anyway. and there was a lot of protests going on for yeah. a lot of things in the world. Yeah, and um, yeah, and and this week of riots on Christopher Street in New York just kind of like really rallied the global movement towards LGBT plus equality. Um, the police went in, attempted. A routine raid of the venue and the community just fought back and and it, it was like apparently they paid like lots of businesses paid a little brown envelope of cash to some to, dodgy to, policeman yeah, every month away, yeah. which meant that they usually they'd get a little heads up for a raid yeah and usually they'd do it like you know eight o'clock on a tuesday mm-hmm. This was 20 past one in the morning on a Friday. Yeah. So already there's a, a bit of an Aggie choice there to go in there. This was a di- different vibe, different crowd. Yeah. Like that place would have been rammed with yeah. people. And there'll be some people that would, you know, the clientele will be different on a Friday and Saturday night yeah. than, than like a Tuesday early evening. So it was a pretty confrontational move, I think, for them to do a raid at that point. Mm-hmm. Um and well yes it was pretty confrontational because there was much confrontation yeah yeah <laughs> fucking week of riots <laughs> yes. it wasn't it wasn't just a quick like kiss up and go to bed it was <laughs> like separate beds separate honeymoons <laughs> carnage fucking file the divorce you know because um, there was a there was a rule that said you had to have at least three garments of clothing yeah of the the gender that, that, that you were assigned at for, yeah. Uh, birth yeah and so if so all of these laws actually you know people don't know about enough i don't think these cross-dressing laws, oh yeah, that's fucked like, like that's insane like yeah if you if you if you didn't have three articles of clothing that were deemed your appropriate right gender then you you would have trouble with the police you yeah and be... they if they if they suspected that you were not adhering to that rule they'd oh, take yeah. into the toilet and and and, and, sh- and say and yeah, say show you. me your genitals yeah. to like yeah. confirm it right which is quite extraordinary if you are a homophobe to um inject yourself into you know to to voluntarily like throw yourself into that world yeah. it's like yeah. do you know if you don't like them, stay away from them, I would yeah, say. Don't yeah, be like yeah. pulling the trousers down. Totally. Well, it's it actually, 
adds to this whole fascination on genitalia that Absolutely. we're seeing in the trans argument these days. It's yep. like the the very people that are obsessed about genitalia mm -hmm. and the sexual aspect of it are not trans people pushing that agenda by yep. any means. They just want to live their fucking lives yeah, yeah. without prejudice. Yet all the anti-trans um, rhetoric is just so concerned on what fucking bit somebody has. It is like a deep obsession for uh -huh. a lot of people. It's a absolutely mental. A, a deep fascination and, and a lot of the violence that's, that's um, suffered by trans women in particular is at the hands of straight men that have a fascination over the whole genitalia and sexual over-sexualized um, and, and the, the urges that they feel and they can't control that and therefore it comes out in violent ways and they murder fucking trans women. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, anyway, so th I mean there's there are various versions of what actually happened at Stonewall and I mean, you know, this was before social media, before like phones with cameras and everyone was probably well watered by the time it oh, happened, yeah. right? Oh yeah, everyone's so totally pissed. There's tall tales and there's yeah. a little doctoring of um, details here and there. I mean, come on, we're talking about big old queers here that love a, love a good story. So, uh, but I think it's cool to lean into that and to, and to listen to the folk that were there and the different versions of events. And I mean, I think it's incredible like the, what i've found i don't know about you but but hearing the stories and the 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 kind of retellings are some of my favorite things to go to you definitely know? there's like that that saying don't let the truth get in the way of a good story absolutely um, my grand's a lover of that one <laughs> and and that but actually these the stories they're telling a truth aren't they i think oh absolutely you, you, like we're not talking vastly different here we're talking like like tiny details no, of i like, punched the first yeah, place yeah. no i punched the first place who you know, threw the first when in reality they were all punching policemen right exactly. <laughs> but we just don't know who was first and no one was checking who was first because everyone was pissed Every, and everyone was, and was pissed chaos. or punching yeah exactly. totally so it's quite hard to sort of pin down um, the sequence of events yeah but um i i don't know like um Maybe we can talk about some of the amazing folk that were there that we that we know of. And you know, there was so, probably so many folk there that we will never, never hear of, never hear of, which is quite sad in a way. But also, it's just a, a product of the time and and like you know, absolutely, and, and perhaps the beauty in it that there was people there and and they they didn't they weren't there to be named over nope. fifty years on. No, they were no. there to show up for mm -hmm. their community and for exactly. themselves. Because this was people's lives. You know, this wasn't actually sexy activism. This wasn't Instagram activism. This no. wasn't this was like serious life in danger situation. Yeah, this wasn't like sit at home making your most beautiful placard no. to go to your, your nice protest. No, like this was knocked unconscious. Yeah. Like at the drop of a hat. Someone had stuff. their fingers taken off mm. having their hands shut in the car police car door. Yeah. This was like serious shit, yeah. and people were fighting for their lives as well. Absolutely, because the the life that they did have, you know, was not, you know, they needed to fight for something better. And actually, you know, I think it's re it's quite remarkable that no one died. Um, I agree. Involved yeah. in that, I think um, the level of brutality must have been immense. You know. Uh, yeah, and also just that atmosphere of fight is is very infectious and it could so easily have gone wrong i think one of the things that i read about was one of the policemen that was there um actually went and spoke to every other police officer and just reiterated that he didn't he didn't want anyone to fire their weapons wow. um 
because he said as soon as someone fired a bullet, he was like, that was going to be it. it. That's it. Um, people are going to die and who knows who it'll be, but someone's going to die. And he, I think he really tempered the actions of the police from that point of view because yeah. this is America and it's like gun party time. Yeah. And this could easily have actually been a massacre. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it wasn't to his and probably Isn't other people's that- credit. Is that shows how atrocious it was, you know, that we are here thankful for <laughs> exactly. that policeman's temperament yeah, yeah, yeah. in that moment. That's how badly the police were treating this community and, and kind of continue to. And this also ties into what I mentioned a few weeks back about the NYPD being kind of banned from attending Pride yeah. Parade in New York City because this is all kind of because Pride exists because Stonewall happened. Yeah. Right, exactly. it's a direct link. We celebrate Pride Month in June because it commemorates the Stonewall riots. The first ever Pride in 1970 in New York City was to mark one year on since the Stonewall riots. Yeah. So to have a police presence in the city that raided the bar, the same police force that raided the bar that kicked off this whole movement, just seems absolutely backwards. So Definitely. it's important to make that link for those of um, you that were listening a few weeks ago about that announcement. Um, yeah, so I guess, like, for me, I really, when I think about Stonewall, I'm thinking about the people that we know that were on that front line. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to talk about some of them. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so someone that I was reading about today who I love um, to read about is Storm de la Varie. Mm-hmm. Um, a butch lesbian and crossdresser who reportedly threw the first bunch of officers <laughs> who were manhandling her. And if you look up online, you will find that that's a meme. Who threw the first yeah, whatever yeah, at yeah. Stonewall? Like uh, she's honestly, one of many that yeah. could have thrown the first whatever. Yeah. All I know is Storm was a fierce figure and remained a crucial member of the NYC queer community until her de- her death, age ninety three in twenty fourteen. Yeah. And like, oh my god! Like this is what's important about these Stonewall elders that did have a real well Stonewall veterans, I think they were called, and and did have a real presence in the village mm-hmm. and and at New York City Pride. Um, you know, they weren't just around at Stonewall. They were, like, until the, her death at 93, Storm was, yep. you know, self-appointed guardian of the lesbians in the village. And New York Times describe her as tall, androgynous, and armed. She had, she had a <laughs> yes. state gun permit. Fucking right? So she took no shit. Yeah, she took no shit. Like, she would patrol yeah, the she, village. Yeah, she was sort of, like, the bouncer. She was, she the, was bouncer. the bouncer. Self-appointed guardian yeah. of her community. And would not put up with shit from the police until yeah. her death. You know, she knew that they weren't going to protect her community. So she really took it upon herself. And and if, if this, as the story goes, was being manhandled by um, the police and, and fought back and then was clubbed unconscious because of that. And you think, well, if that's the kind of regular base level interaction exactly. then you probably would want a state gun permit wouldn't you yeah definitely and and one of i guess part of the story is that she said as she was being manhandled to the to the other people are you guys not going to do something yeah come on yeah act like, up are yeah. we not just going to let this happen yeah yeah a real pivotal figure regardless of first punch thing like a massive figure in at the front of that movement and and very interesting politically storm being a butch lesbian and having that place in the community but then also cross-dressing mm-hmm. a lot you know storm did a lot of like kind of cabaret and yeah. singing and and, and like, really striking like yeah beautiful. And, and would 
dress up as a pre- present um as as male and and a lot of the uh, i think storm was in like a play in which you know they they were presenting kind of trans mask and then everyone else was trans femme and stuff like that and you just think you know people would think that this whole like cross-dressing androgyny that trans femme, oh it's so new it's so edgy it's like look this this was like the 60s and like and way before then as well but even in western culture you know that it was yeah, prevalent yeah. you know absolutely um so yeah storm de la Verie, um a, a really icon of, of of stonewall and of of the queer community and someone that i think is yeah quite a character by the sounds of things if she didn't throw the first punch she was definitely punching she was, away she was she punching away to make up for it <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. there's one one person who i really like in the story is a man called craig who was in the bar and when it, when it all kicked off he ran home to get his camera mm. and i often think this about kind of historical events about news that they're of you know for someone to take the initiative to try and document it is a really brilliant thing now. Unfortunately, yeah. none of his photos came out. So there are no oh. photos from inside. Um, I know, because I was going to say I haven't seen these. Yeah, I was no. like, I'm sure I would have stumbled um, across but them. When, so he ran back, I got his camera, but on the way back he stopped at payphone and he called all the newspapers. So he he said, you got to get down here. Man. you know. So, um, you know, kind of took himself out of the moment for a bit to get his camera and let everyone know, but just made sure that people knew this was happening and it was a big yeah. thing. Um, I don't know if he pressed the wrong button on his camera or he dropped it. Maybe oh, maybe God. it was punched. Who knows? One too many shots. Exactly. I think if you've been out all night and it's now two in the morning, you're probably not going to take... The photos might have been a bit shit. Anyway. A little blurry. <laughs> yeah. Not the right lighting. No one's looking flattering when they're being clubbed <laughs> no, to death exactly by police, are they? So maybe it's for the best. Um, but yeah, I like wee Craig and his camera and his phone calls. And the initiative. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And it was very interesting that the fallout because you know this was spread over a week really mm. and it got bigger and bigger and and there was press reporting it and it's very interesting the people that we're about to highlight who were really at the forefront of the 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 good troublemaking and the activism were mm-hmm. not spoken of kindly by anyone nope. including those in their own community it was yep. something like the the level of faggotry and and you know bringing a bad name to you know mm-hmm. as we we mentioned earlier when actually they were being very very good troublemakers very indeed. very good indeed changing the fucking world yeah and um yeah so I, the, another really funny thing was um i told you this a minute ago but uh beat poet alan ginsburg lived in the village and just happened to kind of stumble across the, these riots <laughs> as you do maybe he was kind of chips yeah yeah, yeah chips on the way home and he reportedly said gay power isn't that great it's about time we did something to assert ourselves which i just think is fantastic <laughs> you know you think alan ginsburg just <laughs> kind of thinks, oh, isn't that fantastic you know meanwhile you have um Marsha P. Johnson reportedly uh, reportedly up a lamppost throwing piles of bricks onto cars below. Yeah, you, know, you can just imagine, like, you know, this kind of, like, scene. Anyway, yeah. Um, I don't know how aware you are of Miss Major. Tell me about Miss Major. Um, just a, another Stonewall veteran who, who was there and, and activist, community leader mm-hmm. uh, for trans women of colour in particular. And actually... So Miss Major was one of the many who fought back that night and um, the police knocked her unconscious and 
and she cared for the sick during the AIDS crisis and has done loads of work for trans women of colour in, pri- in the prison system, mm-hmm. which was heavily informed by her own experiences in Attica State Prison and state violence that she suffers as a trans woman of colour. Okay. And I really sure. thought this relates a lot to her last episode as well, Definitely. about prison abolition, because there's an incredible documentary on Miss Major that kind of follows her work as a real advocate for change for trans women of colour in the prison system in mm-hmm. America and, and kind of prison abolition and her kind of um, perspective on state violence and the criminal justice system. And yeah, Miss Major is someone that is a, a mother, a father, a grandmother, a grandfather, you know, someone that really defies any label of mm-hmm. of what it means to be blah. Just someone that really shows up for their community. Yeah. And has really achieved that icon status you know that word that we brand yeah around fight about everywhere you know everybody's like auntie karen what an icon she's a three <laughs> bottles of pinot no <laughs> fuck that no miss major <laughs> look i'm getting all banging things now <laughs> miss major yeah is a true icon and um yeah I, yeah she was right there right there at the front um let's talk about Marsha. yeah so Marsha's like Maybe the most renowned activist yeah. from Stonewall. Like, like uh, w- whenever I think of Stonewall, Marsha's face is in my head. Yeah, yeah, m- me too, for sure. And I think, well, what what Marsha said herself was that she wasn't there until it had already kicked off. Yeah, yeah. Um, so one of the lovely kind of m- sort of the lore that surrounds it is that she... Through the first brick, right? Yeah, or or shot glass, glass or uh, Molotov she, cocktail. Yeah, like, like, uh, that she threw something uh, at the mirror, and someone very accurately said, "I don't know how many mirrors there were in there. Yeah. <laughs> probably none." Um, there's one in the toilet, but I don't know if you can incite a riot from the toilet. But anyway, um, she was definitely involved. She says she arrived about two. It was already like a, it was carnage. Yeah, but she was like right in there. Up the up the drain pipes, bunging oh, yeah. things. Um, she, you know she didn't throw the first punch, but she was she too punching a lot. Yeah. Um, someone who was very familiar with um police brutality. This is it. See, you know, like, re- this was a fact of life. This was just another every day. minute of yeah. every day. Said she stopped counting after she'd been arrested a hundred times. Yeah. This was just Marsha was a street queen, you know. Yeah. A sex worker. Trans femme, transvestite, woman of colour, you know, and yeah, like, was someone that just every day was a fight. Yep. Against society, against the state, police, and yeah, w- would have been no stranger to this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And would have been right up there getting involved, I'm sure, yeah. you know. And I think that's part of the thing where you see the people that were involved are people that this was a reality, this wasn't a one off. Yeah. Oh, Jesus oh, Christ. Now someone's throwing bricks. Right, that, it's that like was, happening ugh. again. <laughs> the homophobes are trying to throw bricks oh, at us. fucking hell. Um, right. Just to let you all know, that was a, an amazing um, pride flag sign um, made by my flatmate, Cara, who's an incredible, incredible person. I think and there's like a homophobic ghost yeah, in here. Yeah, it just fell from above. Um, anyway, me. we'll put that back up later. Um... What were we saying? Um, Marsh P. Johnson, 
Fucking legend. Yeah, like a lot of the street queens and stuff, just every day was a fight, like you said. So that's it. So it's no coincidence that they were at the front line, right. like absolutely fighting. Because they up. were already oh. most marginalised in a way, uh-huh. they had the least to lose. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. They yeah, didn't absolutely. have fancy jobs in the city. They they weren't worried about being seen. They were yeah. they were they weren't passing. Yeah. No they, one was gonna phone uh, their job and say No oh, you know, this was like Because they were really the the most marginalised yep. and the, seen as the down and outs and yep. the, the crazy ones and the, oh, you're always shouting about... Yeah, they were shouting because the their voices were so stifled by mm. everyone else. And, exactly. And yeah, for them, of course, they were right up there in the front line. And, you know, even following the Stonewall riots, Marshall remained at the forefront of, of queer activism mm-hmm. as a founding member of the Gay Liberation Front and STAR, which was street transvestite action revolutionaries. Yeah. And, there, you know, Marsha's a really interesting one because there still remains many unanswered questions surrounding Marsha's death in 92. Yeah. And um, I don't know if, if you've seen the Netflix documentary, but um, the, the death and life of Marsha P. Johnson. Yeah. That follows Victoria Cruz, who's a kind of trans elder in, in New York, and, and their investigation into Marsha's death and, and also celebrates her as a total icon of our community. But, um, yeah, it's interesting, you know, our, it was just suddenly announced that Marsha was dead and treated as a suicide, but yet the state seemed incredibly uncooperative to answer any questions yeah, about it and yeah. to open that case up. And we all know how well liked not Marsha was by police in, exactly. in the city. So yeah. it's yeah, put two and two together there. Yeah, it feels a little bit sort of tidy and clean and yeah, you yeah. Know. Oh yeah, found her body. Yeah. Oh, it's fine now it. we've case sorted closed. It. Yeah. Yeah. Um but one of the Someone I heard someone talking about her and was saying that actually, you know, a, a lot of tragedy and pain in her life. But actually, when you think of her, you don't think that you think of no. a very joyful, that kind, smiling person. face. Yeah, yeah. That that yeah, street mom. Of, yeah. Of, I'll take in my my kids and and come and I'll I'll keep you safe and I'll fight for you. And yeah, I'll, I don't have much, but and I'll share it with you. And yeah, well, the people who have the least give the most, exactly, right? Exactly, exactly. And, you know, string of pearls around her neck and a flower in her hair and she was ready to fucking fight anyone yeah. that got in her way, you know? Yeah. Fierce, fierce person, you know? Yep. To have to put up with so much and, and still be as fabulous as that. Man. And to be like, I am fucking brilliant and yeah. like sexy and beautiful and just unapologetic yeah you know is it's still revolutionary to, for absolutely. someone like marsha to exist today is revolutionary absolutely Never mind yeah. at that time yeah exactly exactly yeah um there was an article that came out just after the riots a particularly sort of disgusting article in the village voice yeah this is the one yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that called it the great faggot rebellion yeah um and made this very snide comment that it was because it was a full moon and Judy Garland's funeral yep. that had whipped up the gays yep. into into a riot, um, and that somehow Chinese whispered along the way, so that some people think that it was kind of started by Judy Garland's <laughs> funeral. <laughs> um, everyone was so distraught. A lot to answer for. <laughs> yeah. that bloody movie. <laughs> and uh, some of the there's this, we were talking about before we recorded about um, this video online about interviewing some of the people that were there and one of them saying like i mean judy garland was good but she wasn't that good yeah <laughs> she wouldn't have it made us literally put our fucking lives on the line <laughs> yeah, exactly we didn't like her that much um so yeah that was one of the sort of uh 
the, I mean, that exa- that newspaper article, the Village Voice, you know, is a bit of mainstream journalism, and that was published. You know, the that sort of really vile, like, hate speech. And also I think it's important to point out that they're talking about a very specific group of people here. Yeah. They're talking about queer women. Yeah. People of colour, trans femmes in particular. You mm-hmm. know, the same people that are are still yet to benefit from the very activism that they fought for at Stonewall. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's we still have such an issue in our society with femininity and, and an issue in the queer community with femininity, not just with... Um, women and trans women but anyone that's gender non-conforming you know mm-hmm. there's still a real ostracization you know you don't want to you know like even this internalized homophobia of like gay men coming out and and not wanting to appear camp and yep. not wanting to embrace that absolutely or, um not what you know oh i'm not feminine though you know i'm right into rugby you know it's like great of course but like yeah there's a we need to understand the the gender politics at play there and the internalized misogyny absolutely and the shame that exists yep. and this is exactly why it's so important that when we think of stonewall we talk about stonewall we remember these people Marsha, miss major um storm delivery and we'll talk about sylvia in a minute but you know these people were the ones fighting so that we could all exist yeah exactly they're still the same people getting the shit you know Uh, uh, yeah i mean and like even they they had you know so many things going against them in terms of groups of people that society doesn't really like um but they you know the state didn't look after them. They were homeless or vulnerably housed. That's still a massive problem today. Yep. It still disproportionately affects people from this community. So absolutely, and and I think especially that's, when we talk about like sex work and stuff as well, exactly. and how unregulated it is, and and I think that's why you know I think all the sort of myths and legends and sort of like differences about the Stonewall story, you know, are are like they're funny and they're nice, but there is a little camp where it's not so nice and innocent Mm. and it is about trying to separate trans history and gay history and trying to um change a narrative um to sort of exclude certain voices which Um, is bonkers which is absolutely bananas marsha p johnson and sylvia rivera who we'll talk about in a minute were founding members of the gay liberation front yeah these were like transvestites self-proclaimed transvestites but really like trans women of color that dedicated their lives to fighting for gay liberation yeah, and risked their lives actually right? risked every their life every single day and they weren't just doing it for themselves no it wasn't so for everyone exactly the whole no one is free until we're all free exactly yeah and it just it really um disappoints me when there are these kind of internal struggles where we still seek to exclude people from struggle. Yeah. You know, we try and sort of, um, you know, mark our struggle territory mm. and don't let anyone in. Mm. Um, and and that's that's the bit where the sort of, the, the differences of opinion about Stonewall starts to get a little bit kind of, uh, there's a bit of a nasty air to it you yeah know? no that's where, why we need to be having these conversations yeah because i thought part of me thinks oh stonewall i'm like everyone knows about stonewall right should we really still be talking about stonewall but i thought actually let's talk about it and and think about it in the context of today and actually it's still super relevant because yeah. you look at 
the narrative even in the UK today mm-hmm. within queer politics and 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 queer lives and the struggle the ongoing struggle for trans people and gender non-conforming people especially those of color and and sex workers and oh my god stonewall is still so relevant you know? absolutely like in terms of what we should remember and the story we need to tell and and the activism yeah you know yeah um let's quickly just mention that sylvia rivera yeah um was alongside Marsha remained at the forefront of LGBT plus activism and um, again within the Gay Liberation Front and STAR, the Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries. And Sylvia, you know, Sylvia features in that documentary about Marsha a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame because these were people that were so, I mean, endured so much trauma that of course they suffered a lot mentally. Absolutely. And, and were ridiculed often, yeah. you know, as, as kind of batshit, Mm-hmm. crazy part ears but they 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 gave their lives to this cause absolutely absolutely and and like how how would you expect anyone to not have the trauma and the you know after the life that they had yeah you know? every day is just a battleground and you you know you're you're having to fight your corner every single minute yeah. of the day that's going to take a toll on yeah. people for sure yeah but it's very you know it's very easy and actually very convenient to ridicule people because uh, it takes their power away mm-hmm. and so society will always want to marginalize and ridicule people um and one of the really nice things that that in in the video where people who were there that night um talk about is the fact that there was this sort of mixture of like absurdity and sort of joy and like um celebration and amongst that right right so i think this is exactly what we need to think of when we think about pride in a modern context Mm -hmm. like i will always say that pride is a protest first and foremost absolutely because the global struggle for queer rights is absolutely far from over yeah never mind at home you know but it's also a celebration of queer joy Mm -hmm. and that but where people get mixed up is that is not you know, your vodka cranberry in a branded rainbow cup mm. with a bit of glitter on your face. Yes. That's standing arm in arm with people in your community and really feeling at home. Yes. And that queer joy can take place anywhere, anytime. It's about showing up. Yeah, absolutely. It's like when the Pulse shooting massacre happened mm-hmm. and everyone came out into Soho mm-hmm. in London and held a vigil. That that is queer joy that's coming together that solidarity with your community or it's like when we finally see visibility in the you know in the mainstream when like disclosure comes out on netflix or whatever it is or like some groundbreaking you know fight is one that's that's the queer joy that we want to celebrate it's not quite jay late circa 5 10 a.m you yeah. know in your booty shorts or a crop top on you know as much as i have been that person yeah or or know people that are you know you need to know that when you go to heaven or polo or wherever it is like you would not be there if it weren't for these people so you need to show up for them now because they need it absolutely know? yeah and it, and it's you look at the types of people who were involved in that fight um well it didn't there's lots of things that have remained unchanged yeah. about the landscape from 1969 to now. And that is unspeakable in its unfairness, right? When you look at the struggles that people still 
have. And I think yeah. it's that it's this complex thing that we struggle with a lot on a daily basis as activists is the balance between celebrating wins and fighting and not and making sure they don't, don't um, signal sight. the end yeah. of you know um, I mean I'm thinking what's going around in my head right now actually is like have we achieved achieved a, a, to a degree queer liberation or have we just made our queerness more palatable right and there's that's a very interesting thing so in there's a book called the gentrification of the mind which talks about the sort of it talks about the AIDS crisis but also the kind of wider cultural impact of um the activism around AIDS mm -hmm. and one of the things that it talks about is that um a really diff complex position you're in where people fought for gay liberation in order that future generations wouldn't have to fight. Mm -hmm. However, these people who fought can't help but feel a sense of disappointment when the younger generations don't fight. Yeah. And and it's I think what you say is really, really important point because I think Another example is we had a black US president for the first time. Did what what does that change actually signal? Mm. Does it signal was that did that make a difference to the the normal working class black man in America? Mm. Or did it signal a move or the creation of or recognition of a black middle class? Mm. And it is it a move is it a move in a one direction or is it a sort of sidestep? And I think you're absolutely right about are we just sort of gentrifying queerness and making it feel um, acceptable? Yeah. Um, or or are people's minds actually changing? Are you know are we fighting for that? Yeah. And maybe maybe the answer is yes and no and everything. I, in I think that is the answer because it's like with with the marriage equality vote. You know, mm -hmm. I want equality for my community, but to me marriage is something that's heteronormative and and just right. uh, it's so alien to me as a queer person and i don't want to be held to heteronormative characteristics yeah i don't I, I don't want equality if it means i have to be held to heteronormative absolutely yeah. counter standards i want to be recognized as my queer self and yep. i want to be visible in my queerness mm -hmm. So that's really the struggle that I'm fighting for. But yet these things shouldn't be mutually exclusive. Yeah, and I think... And, different, and I'm speaking purely personally there. Like, I recognise that there's so many people in my community that 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 don't feel that way. And that's so fine, you know? And Yeah, and well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, it encompasses... The queer community encompasses so many people of different opinions and experiences. Yeah, and I think because, like, the society informs you know you don't i once read this amazing thing that was like growing up queer is like growing up coming out and you you actually come out every day you don't just come out once yeah and then having to unpick all the bits of yourself and figuring out whether it's an authentic bit of you or something that you have used to mask your queerness in some way or to mold yourself into absolutely yeah society. absolutely so you're forever dealing with this like oh throw that bit away that was fake or that was keep that bit that's actually me and yeah and was that am i doing that just to fit this mode have or i learned I, you know, this or is exactly this is thing? this learned behavior or is this authentic behavior to me? so that's something that everyone's going through at different paces 
And everyone, I mean, everyone on earth should be going through right. that process, well, right? The world would probably be a better place, yeah. But I think it's only... It, you're pushed to do that when you're in a situation where you feel other. Yeah. Um, but the world would definitely be better if everyone questioned that, yeah. you know, and could really tried to understand what are kind of societal norms that have been kind of forced upon us that, that we don't actually need to continue with and we could sort of fight against. But I think the... I mean... The commercialization, the sort of consumerism element of Pride is tricky, isn't it? I think it's... it's really tricky, yeah. I think, like, a lot of people, like, want to... They're like, oh, we just want to go to Pride and have a good time. And I'm yeah. like, well, yeah, but you're saying that because you're clearly in a privileged position where, like, yeah. you've... Oh, lucky you. <laughs> a loving family, yeah, probably yeah. don't get bothered by anyone. Yeah. Like, you know, like, like, twice this week I was approached in the street and just abused you know like, mm-hmm. like and, and i'm so privileged like you know in in terms of where i live and my upbringing and my heritage and my ableism and like all sorts you know but um i think it's really important to recognize that I, for me it's just like what do we mean by the lgbt plus community mm-hmm. people put all these letters at the start and to me completely ignore the second half of that mm-hmm. sentence mm-hmm community goes out the window absolutely and if we're talking about community then we're talking about showing up for each other yeah so really pride needs to be first and foremost an opportunity to engage with your community mm-hmm. and that often is best done at a grassroots level Definitely. like we talk about week in week out on yep. this podcast so by then having this commercial aspect where you have big sponsors and corporations really calling the show and effectively like running pride boards up and down the country and Mm -hmm. people have to pay to attend you're just further marginalizing people and also you're really just giving in to to capitalism which in itself is intrinsically damaging to the queer community definitely absolutely Yeah, yeah no fucking amount of capitalism has ever helped the queer community yeah you know like it's never given shit wealth or platformed or resource or um, contributed ideologically, like anything. Yeah, absolutely. So why should the yeah. Royal Bank of whoever the fuck get a flow? Yeah. Give it to the people who fucking cared for people dying of AIDS. Give it to... Absolutely. Like, whoever, you know what I mean? Like, the, the people, who, the teachers who under close 28 yet still were able to be there for pupils when they were being bullied. Yep. I don't know, like, the real heroes that still exist now, you know? Yeah. Like... Yeah. I think it's, there's going to be some people who their only experience of the, of the queer community, of the, of that entire world will be seeing a pride ad campaign, right? Yeah. So they'll have no, no, no direct link. So a friend or family member who, or they don't talk about that with well, them. The, whatever, yeah, that's the you know, problem. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, now, it may be, and I think that this will have happened more than once, that that little ad for whatever spaff that it's selling might just open their minds a tiny bit and and at least, you know, maybe start a conversation that they might never have had before or, or just, you know. So I think this, we constantly struggle with visibility versus normalisation. Right. And I think 
I think we have to accept that they both have to happen for change to actually occur. Right, like visibility is important. Absolutely. So important. Our stories deserve to be told yep. every time. Yeah. 10 out of 10. And so I think it's it's also you just, you want to question, if, let's use Pride Month as as a visible bit. Great, that's visible. But how can you exploit that, exploit right. being used positively yeah to draw attention for the other 11 months exactly of all the things that are actually really important and vital and the same life or death fights that happened at stonewall that are still happening in people's lives now how do you use that to benefit rather than let's all have a razz up yeah one of the most authentic and i fucking love a razz up right we all know like i am like Get me in the sequins. Give me a bottle of tequila. Let's, let's go. dance to Donna Summer all night fucking long. Yeah. But I tell you what, I'll wake up and I'll go on the march the next day. Exactly. Right? And exactly. that's what I'm talking about. Because the most authentic pride that I've ever been to was last year. Mm-hmm. There was no corporate pride. There was no pride in London. But there was a march for black trans lives on what would have been London pride mm-hmm. through like the Strand and Trafalgar Square. And fuck me... It was the most authentic pride I'd ever been to. Yeah, we all brought flowers, Honor and Marsha, and and everyone was masked up, and it was huge. And like I had never felt that alive at Pride mm-hmm. because I'd always been pissed and like bored and yeah, low key like it just became routine. And, yeah, or yeah. I'd been pissed off that there's so much corporate sponsorship or that I'd had to pay to attend Pride. Yeah. And um, that, I remember going with my mate Eliza and we just like grabbed each other's hand and just like, we're like, oh my God, like to be here right now. So that that kind of thing, I want to see more of that. And I think that really happened because of COVID, because of the Black Lives Matter movement. And, you know, still the average life expectancy of a black trans woman is 35 in the United States. You know, they're the most marginalized yeah. in society, you know, mm-hmm. so you know something we really need to keep showing up there and um yeah to to march like that on what would have been pride it was like yeah this is what pride's about this is pride and that's it's what john talked about last week about feeling suddenly feeling alive and at home and togetherness yeah yeah. in that protest um that's where it is the most impactful that's life-changing you know to use John as an example there's someone who his life has changed immeasurably since leaving prison he feels you know like he doesn't really know what he's doing he feels like he isn't supported like everything's pretty fucked and then he feels this sense of and and it's that like visceral emotional thing that actually changes people's lives like isn't just a wee nice Saturday afternoon but this that is a turning point that marks something really huge and like that's the real power of activism yeah. isn't it and also what's beautiful is like if we're going to talk about partying as a form of protest by fuck we know how to do that like, absolutely like the reason we have house music is down yep. to the queer community down to like underground raves down to like our sense of just non-conformity yeah the re- like all good culture i'm sorry i'm absolutely. just gonna say it absolutely. all good culture all change mm-hmm. like has really been born out of of the struggle and the queer community have always been present in some way and 
and yeah i just think that's why it's so important to make these links these intersectional links you yes. know like the struggle for you know queer people of color but people of color everywhere and queer women and sex workers and trans and non-binary folk and gender non-conforming people like it's really and and, and disability rights in the queer community is something that's still not talked about enough mm-hmm. at all mm-hmm. you know it's it's for really sure. quite astounding you know we think we're in this like amazing place and it's like well how accessible yeah. are queer spaces yeah how accessible are spaces in general fucking hell i mean you know i constantly have to check myself because i'm like super like guilty of just dropping the ball and being quite ableist in my way of life and yeah i just wanted i think if we're going to talk about pride we need to talk about this intersectionality that's 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 what springs to mind for me it's like all of these things are coming together to look after your community and show up for each other yeah and i think there's i mean lots of the people that we've talked about today i think at some point, we'll give them their own episode because I mean, these people. Yeah, have, yeah, because the lives are incredible. Yeah, yeah, they've they've got all, but I it's, I think it's just a really interesting, kind of, point of entry to use Stonewall as a sort of, to start there and yeah, then and you it branch feels, out. You, you know, know, it's an appropriate time. I'm, Definitely. You know, and 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 yeah, I was gonna say actually, there is this new book that I'm yet to read, but it looks incredible. So many amazing people are part of it, and it's called Better Than This. Mm-hmm. 35 voices on the future of lgbtq plus rights and it's edited by amelia abraham oh amazing so there's people like beth ditto and mm-hmm. travis alabanza and like like all in this one book amazing. just giving their tuppence worth on that which yeah, sounds incredible so yeah. and i've got other organizations that we'll definitely link to in the show notes but yeah i really just it felt very close to home and, and really beautiful that we got the opportunity to highlight Stonewall. And Definitely. And there's loads of, there's really good like documentaries online. Oh yeah. Loads really good of stuff. book. Not um, the fucking Hollywood made whitewashed oh, film God, no. called that, Stonewall. That 2015 that thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there you and go. That's everything that's exactly, wrong. Exactly. There you go. There's just like, Oh, a whitewashed event <laughs> with yeah. like cute little Twinkie sis gay men. Yeah. Let's like, make some money from this thing. Honestly. Oh, well done everyone. But, the thing is, the truth, the real people are far more interested than that. So like, and- Far more fucking punk rock. Oh, so, and far more fabulous and just far more like real and mm. brilliant. And there's so much stuff we like, we can put all those links down to just to check it out. Because I think everyone involved in this um, was a very, was very brilliant and, yeah. you know, quite extraordinary. Um, so, yeah, that was still more. That was Stonewall. Wasn't it? I'm ready to go and do some punching. Yeah, <laughs> should we should we crawl up a drain pipe? Yeah, let's do it. Right, Throw cool. some bricks. Okay. Um, yeah, like thanks as ever for tuning in, darlings, mm. and see it see it Pride wherever that pride. may be. Some events and and I don't mean like horrible RBS Pride. I mean like I'll see you around. See you at the bars. Yeah, see you at the bars. See you in Soho. Right, let's get some bricks. <laughs>